Here at the Eastridge Church of Christ, we are engaging in a study of the Old Testament book of Esther. One of the first things we notice is that the women of the Bible teach us many valuable lessons. And so we need to learn the lessons that Esther can teach us as well. Women have historically been imperative to the work of God on earth. Uh, from assuring the preservation of the line of Christ to exemplary service in his kingdom, women just come up again and again in the scriptures as just priceless and irreplaceable. Historically, we're looking at the book of Esther as an account written between the times of the book of Ezra, chapter 6 and 7 somewhere. Um, we're talking about, oh, 483 B.C. or something like that. Okay, so we're talking about a very long time ago. And we're talking about a, a Persian empire that is um, rooted in tradition and custom for, for, you know, decades and decades. And so this is a, a culture and a people um, that does things a certain way. And they are ruled by a king named King Ahasuerus. And I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. But if not, I believe he was known uh, to the Greek empire as Xerxes. And I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly as well. Um, but what's interesting here is that this is just a, a story of, of contrast. Uh, you might even argue a story of paradoxes. Esther is a, a Jewish woman, a young Jewish woman, a very faithful young Jewish woman. And she finds herself in the midst of this kingdom that is just pompous and, and, and debaucherous. And we have to automatically appreciate what God is doing here. Because in Esther, we don't see God referenced at all. We don't see his name. Uh, we don't see any reference to his commands or his law. We, we don't see him at all. And yet Esther is filled with timeless, godly truths that we all need to consider. She is an amazing, amazing woman of God. Just in that first chapter, if you just peruse it, uh, you're going to notice a lot of things. And I would like you to focus, just for purposes of a quick study on Esther 1, verses 4 and 5, verse 8, uh, verses 9 through 12, and verses 17 through 19. We have here a king who's preparing for battle. Um, he's going to fight the Greeks. Now, we know that this feast is before the time that he goes on a, um, I think it's a three or four year campaign against the Greeks. And so, you know the stories of Marathon and Thermopylae, if you know anything about Greek um, history at all. And if you don't, that's fine. You can look those up. But, um, this is just before the defeat of Xerxes at Salamis. And I hope I have 
pronounce that name correctly as well. But Xerxes is a strange character, Ahasuerus, as he is called here in Esther. He is a man who lacks restraint, and yet he can be generous. He's pompous, but he can actually show uh, a lot of kindness. He's a paradox. And I think it's important that we appreciate the very shrewd perfection of God in being able to use such a contrary vessel like Ahasuerus to bring about his will to ensure God's providence and protection for his ancient people, the Jews. Now, when we get to chapter 1 and we look through it, we see Queen Vashti as responding to King Ahasuerus in a way that he did not want her to respond. Now, when we look at her response, it's arguably warranted. She should not have to tolerate such treatment uh, by her husband, who was basically uh, treating her like a, uh, a possession of some kind. Also, while we're considering what's, what Vashti's doing, what's going on in chapter 1, hopefully we can get a greater idea of what it means to believe in and to recognize, to have faith in God's providence. Like I said before, God is not mentioned in Esther. His will is not referenced. You hear nothing of his law in this particular book. And yet, we are asked, as it were, demanded by God for providing us with this book of Esther to study to accept his providence. You know, when all of us woke up this morning, I don't know that the first thing out of our mind or in our mind was, I'm so happy that God provided me another day to wake up in. I don't know that when we went to the bathroom and washed our faces, took a shower, whatever it is that we do, or when we cooked breakfast, or whenever we got our clothes on and, and got ready to go to work wherever we go in the mornings, I don't think we looked at all of those things. I don't think generally we see all those things as God's providence that we should be appreciative of. God's not in the natural events of life just coming right out and saying to us, Oh, here, this, I'm giving this to you. This is my providence. See it, appreciate it, be faithful to it. That's the very idea of providence. And so do we accept that? Well, and I don't think any of us accept it the way that we should. Um, and we should accept it that way. And I hope we can train ourselves and strengthen ourselves to more accept providence in the way that it is indeed evident. But we don't often see natural events as God's providence. That's the point. And I believe that that is the focus that Esther asks us, demands of us, 
to have. In the New Testament, in Acts 17, 24 through 31, the Apostle Paul says that God is the reason everything moves and has being. And so we're supposed to look at Vashti. We're supposed to look at King Ahasuerus, Haman, Mordecai, Esther, all the characters in this account. We're supposed to see them all as part of that providence. We're supposed to see them all as moving and having being because of God. And even all these actions under this very imbalanced, arguably bipolar emperor, move and have being due to God alone. Very difficult for us to accept that, isn't it? You know, in Job, the 12th chapter and the 23rd verse, Job says that God makes nations great and he destroys them. He enlarges nations and he leads them away. Very difficult, I think it is, to look at Esther, look at King Ahasuerus, look at Vashti, look at all the things going on there and to say to ourselves and to have faith and to be strong that God's controlling all of this. He has some greater purpose and some end result that he wants to bring about. And we have to accept that that's true. Now, for the people going through this at the time, that must have been an impossibility to see. But Esther would see it. Her cousin, Mordecai, would see it. Haman, Vashti, Ahasuerus, no, they don't see it. But they're not God's people. And we need to remember that as well. Now again, when we look at what Vashti did, we might say, yeah, it makes sense. She was asked to do something rude and cruel to her, and she denied it. Please remember that at this time when these celebrations are going on, historians suggest that the men and women were feasting and celebrating segregated. They were apart from each other. The very reason that Ahasuerus calls for Vashti is because she's not there. At his celebration. She's at her own celebration. Doing her own thing with her friends and, and her servants. And Vashti actually shows a selfishness. Whenever King Azurus requests her to come before him. Now if you look from her point of view. Why should she drop everything she was doing with her friends. And go to pacify her husband's request. Some people say she was modest. Well, I doubt that she's modest. Uh, the people of the Persian Empire, particularly their queen, uh, probably were not as morally strong as some would like to, uh, to uh, you know, credit her with. Likely, like everyone else in the Persian Empire, at least most in the Persian Empire, of course, with the exception of the Jews and perhaps others, they were morally loose and filled with debauchery. So Vashti as modest? No, probably not. More accurately, she was likely not going to just parade herself before a bunch of lusty drunk men who were the friends of her and servants of her husband, the king. But what we do notice is that this gets a reaction 
from the quote-unquote wise men or counselors of the king. And it says that they knew the times. What Queen Vashti did may have been supportable, may have been arguable, may have been understandable, but not in these times. The fact that she wasn't going to be her husband's trophy wife to be displayed at that time was unacceptable. Now, again, we can completely respect what Vashti did. But maybe there's a greater point to be learned here. The greater point is what power can do. And what power great influence possesses. Whether great or small. Now, these wise men, these counselors to the king. Their claim is that Vashti would undermine the, the relationships of husbands and wives kingdom-wide throughout the entire Persian Empire. Do you think that's what Vashti was meaning to do when she refused her husband? I doubt that very seriously. Nevertheless, here is providence. Her actions could do just that. She was queen. Now, friends, what can our actions do? Whenever we just act in our own interest, as Vashti did, what damage might we create? If you would, for just a moment, look in your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, you can turn uh, on your computer, go to the Internet, and just type in a, a search for 1 Peter, the second chapter, and the 12th verse. You'll read there that Peter writes that we should have our conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against us as evildoers, they may by our good works, which they will see, glorify God in the day of visitation. Now I'm paraphrasing a little bit there. But that's basically what 1 Peter 2 and 12 said. We have to think in those terms. Not like Vashti thought. We have to think in those terms. You and I have a great influence. But we also have to have the forethought. The humility that Vashti lacked. Later on, we're going to see that Esther has that forethought. Esther has that humility in contrast to Vashti. And sadly, in contrast to a lot of us. So, to end this quick and simple message, let's recap these things. You and I, we need to notice God's providence every day in everything that we do good and bad that is the trick we all have good days we all have bad days we all have good times we all have troubled times can we muster the faith 
to accept that God is in control of all of that. And ultimately, as Romans 8 teaches us in the New Testament, that all things will work out for good because we love the Lord. Also, will we, understanding that providence, practice the forethought necessary to do things that glorify God. Vashti was not meaning to undermine all of the women in the kingdom by refusing her husband. I truly believe that. But I also believe that she did not consider, did not use forethought to figure out, to even entertain the idea that perhaps she should think more about her response to the king, knowing what great influence that she had. And so to each and every one of us, myself, you, everyone included, I say this as I end this message for Esther, the first chapter. Let's each stop reacting to things just for the purpose of reacting. Whenever something happens that requires our attention or our response, let's think about it. Think about it carefully. Think about the consequences that could come from that. And think about the ways that we can glorify God in our responses. If we can do that and do both of those things, understand, accept providence, have forethought, act as people of God. I believe that we can see God in Esther 1, and we can see the greater purpose of our lives as well. Thank you for listening. We will have another recording on Esther, the second chapter, following just as soon as we possibly can.